We come to the end here of this particular section of Isaiah that we've been looking at since Christmas. The theme here in Isaiah through chapter 39 has been trusting in the Lord. That are we trusting in God or are we trusting in man? And last week it was like this big woohoo! King Hezekiah faced this crisis and he trusted in God. Hezekiah did the right thing. He got it right. And God came through. He saved his people. It was wonderful. It was so wonderful, in fact, that many people may have wondered, is Hezekiah the promised king who would lead God's people into faithfulness and holiness, turning sinful Jerusalem into the holy and ideal city of God's people? Well, chapters 38 and 39 kind of temper that enthusiasm a little bit. As great as Hezekiah was, and he was a very good man and a very good king, he is not the king that God's people need to make them a holy and righteous nation. As good as Hezekiah was, he was still a man, susceptible to sin and death. In a sense, these Chapters echo the words of the band U2 that Judah still hasn't found what they were looking for. So if you would open up your Bibles, we'll be in Isaiah looking at chapters 38 and 39. Last week we looked at chapters 36 and 37. They were a bit longer. These ones are nice, nice and brief, it seems. Chapters 38 and 39 together show us the frailty of Hezekiah, that as good as he was last week, he wasn't what they needed. Hear the word of the Lord beginning in Isaiah chapter 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord. The God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow... Cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz, turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. 
I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, He thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? At that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, there will be peace and security in my days. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we give thanks for the hearing of your word and we pray that having heard it, you would work it in our minds and in our hearts. That you would open them to receive this as your word, O God, to hear the Scriptures. 
Lord, use me to proclaim and to apply this word, to explain and expound it, O God. Guide my words and my thoughts, and whatever is true, O Lord, use it for our good, and whatever is false, set it aside, O Lord, and may it not be heard and fall on deaf ears. But Lord, we pray that your word, which is truth, would go forth and would change us, that we desire to trust in you, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at these two chapters, they help us to see the answer to the question, do we trust in God or do we trust in man? And the answer ultimately is man and woman are too frail for us to trust in. Even the most faithful, even the best of God's people aren't enough that we need to be pointed to something greater than man. We see in this passage the frailty of Hezekiah in two different ways. We see in chapter 38 his physical frailty as he is near death. And then in chapter 39 we see his moral frailty as he falls into sin. And so we're going to look at that and see how that points us to the one we need who is greater than Hezekiah. We see his physical frailty in chapter 38. The king is young. That's what he says. I'm in the middle of my days. And if you use some calculations between our Old Testament reading and this chapter we can determine that Hezekiah does not even have an heir yet. His son Manasseh took over at age 12. And if Hezekiah was given 15 more years to live, then Manasseh must not have even been born yet. So Hezekiah is not simply distraught that he will die a young man, but he will die an heirless man, not having a son to take the throne as he had done from his fathers going all the way back to David. And so he prays to God. Hezekiah pours out his heart to the Lord, letting his grief spill into prayer. He references his own faithfulness, but he's not saying, he's not bargaining, saying, God, look at all the good I have done. You owe me, but rather, Lord, if this is my time, remember me when I trusted in you and not all of the times I failed. Remember that I had faith and I sought to be faithful to you. Surprisingly, then, we see Isaiah has to stop, may not have even made it out of the palace, and has to turn around, and he has a new word to give to Hezekiah. He reverses course, declaring Hezekiah will live 15 more years and will not surely die. If you want a passage in the Bible that tells you prayer works, bingo, you got it right here. Prayer answered immediately in the way that it was asked, it seems. But we see that God changes his mind, and that can worry us a little bit, like God changes his word. Well, God invites people sometimes through his word to pray and seek his mercy. We can think of Moses. After the golden calf incident, God said, Moses, you stay up here. I'm going to kill all those guys, and we'll start over with you. And Moses prayed. He pleaded with the Lord, Lord, have mercy, have mercy. And God did have mercy, seemingly changing his word, using his word as an invitation to seek the mercy of God. And since the word was changing, in a sense, you could say, Hezekiah asked for a sign to assure him that this change was real. We see that at the end of the chapter, it's kind of out of place. It's like a little footnote down there at the end of chapter 38. And so the sign that is given is some kind of sundial. 
that is measured by steps, whatever those steps or markers may be. And so the day was, the sun was going down, the sun was setting on this day, eerily symbolizing Hezekiah's life setting. As the shadow lengthened, so death is nearing Hezekiah. And so the Lord miraculously moves the shadow back the exact distance it had lengthened. So the shadow looked, in effect, as if it were noon and that his time had been restored. When we read this passage, we're left feeling rejoicing. We're excited. It's happy. Hezekiah was healed, and yet the joy of the healing is not really the focus of the passage. Because Hezekiah is told, you will be healed of this illness. You will live another 15 years. That is wonderful, and yet Hezekiah will still die. Though he had demonstrated great faith in the matter of Assyria, he will still die. Though he is a good king who has been faithful, he will still die. That men and women do not live forever. Hezekiah's near-death experience leads him to writing this poem here in chapter in verses 10 through 20. And the king praises God and thanks him. Thank you for saving my life. And yet most of the poem is wrestling with his own mortality. The idea of death. He says it can come unexpectedly, as if you're out camping in a tent, and all of a sudden the wind goes, whoop, and pulls your tent stakes up, and it's gone. And there goes your life, and there goes your body. He says it is like a weaver who is weaving or knitting or crocheting or whatever. I don't know the difference. One of those things. And they think they've got more and more to go and they want things to be this long, but they're only here and they run out of thread, yarn, whatever it is. I don't know. And it's over. You thought you had more time to knit this beautiful life and you're cut off. He realizes it can end that quickly. And he wrestles with it. Now, as Christians, we may wonder, Hezekiah, you get to go to heaven, man. This is awesome. Why are you being so sad? But without the fullness of the gospel and the story of the resurrection of Jesus, Hezekiah's focus was primarily on the fact that I am going to lose the ability to live. To live on this earth and praise God in my body as a living man. He did not want to die. He wanted to remain alive as one of God's people and to live according to the word of God. And I think even as Christian men and women with the hope of heaven, we can relate to the desire that I don't want to die. It's not only kings that are frail. All men and women suffer from this physical frailty. That even if God heals us of our diseases and extends our life, we will still die. That is, unless Jesus comes back beforehand. It does, matter, does not matter how successful we are, how wealthy we may be, how healthy we have been, how well-loved we are by our family. We are mortal creatures that are physically frail. And we can give thanks for the life that we have, but we all have this physical frailty that Hezekiah had. And so we relate to him in this passage, being mortals ourselves. And yet, the passage, again, does not point us to identify just with Hezekiah we are meant to identify with those whom Hezekiah rules over as king. There was no guarantee that whoever the next king was would be faithful like Hezekiah. 
Isaiah had lived under three previous kings and had seen Judah go up and down based on the faithfulness of the king. And as our Old Testament reading shows, the fear of what would come after Hezekiah was even worse than imagined. That Manasseh reigned in his father's place and was perhaps the worst and most wicked king God's people had ever seen. For all the hope Hezekiah brought, for the he got it right of chapters 36 and 37, his time was limited. He could not be the faithful king for them forever. The same is true for God's people today, but our leaders that we look to are not our national leaders, rather the people of God or the church of God. That the Apostle Paul sensed his coming death And he knew in a certain humble way that he was kind of a big deal. He was an apostle. He had written the scriptures to people. He understood that people would have a hard time after he had died. And so he urged Timothy, imploring him, make sure you pass on the gospel. You entrust it like a good deposit to those who will be able to entrust it then to others. Some fail in this task, like Vigilus and Hermogenes. And others, like Timothy and Onesiphorus, do an okay job seeking to be faithful. See, as good as Hezekiah was, one day he would no longer be king. As good as Paul and Timothy and other faithful church leaders are, they will need to be replaced by the next generation of leaders. We can rejoice in the goodness of of men and women who mean so much to us, who have led us well. But Hezekiah and his meditation on death reminds us that we need hope in someone who is longer lasting than mere men and women because we are physically frail. But it is not just physical frailty we see here. The other problem is we as mankind frequently fail to do what is right. And we see the moral frailty of Hezekiah in chapter 39 with his interaction with the prince of Babylon. News of Hezekiah's healing had spread far and wide. And from the far reaches of Babylon, the prince was like, hey, you got better. I'm going to come and visit and celebrate. And he did. And everything seems to be going great until Hezekiah takes the prince on a palace tour. We might miss the subtle sin here that Hezekiah commits. Perhaps you have experienced experienced something like this when you've been invited over to someone's house and you are shown around on a tour and shown all the wonderful renovations and possessions that this person has. And sometimes, not always, sometimes there can be a bit too much showiness in the showing around the house. Making sure that all of these things show you How impressive I am. That seems to be what is happening here. What is never mentioned in Hezekiah's interaction with the prince of Babylon is the God who healed Hezekiah. The Lord who reigned over this nation and built up the treasuries in Jerusalem. Nowhere is God credited as the giver of all of these good things. And so instead of crediting God and giving glory to him, Hezekiah seems to be saying to the prince of Babylon, I am a worthy ally. You 
can trust in me. Look at all I have. Knowing that Assyria may attack, Hezekiah is trying to form this alliance. Trying to use the prince of Babylon that they can trust in one another, trust in man instead of God. And so Isaiah comes to confront him about his unfaithfulness. He explains to Hezekiah, you wanted Babylon to be an ally to protect you. But Babylon came and what they see is a treasure to be plundered, not an ally. Hezekiah had foolishly shared too much with the prince, essentially saying, look at all the stuff you could take if you invade us. Look at all these wonderful routes you could take to conquer the city. That's what they were hearing, not here is someone we can trust. And Isaiah tells Hezekiah that one day the Babylonians will take away all of this. It will all be taken away. It will not happen in Hezekiah's day because of Hezekiah's goodness and faithfulness. But even there, we see his reaction is selfish. It is good that this will not happen in my day. And as we see the failure of Hezekiah, especially after his great success last week, we're left hurting. We had put so much hope in this man. He was a faithful king. But let's not go blaming the whole exile on Hezekiah, because after all, he was on the whole a good king. But Hezekiah demonstrates that even faithful kings will fail morally. And really, all of Scripture tells us that. Look back in the Old Testament to all the heroes of the faith and see their failures. Noah, after the flood and his episode of drunkenness. Abraham saying time and time again, yeah, this is my sister about his wife and lying about it to save his own skin. Moses getting frustrated and not following the word of the Lord. We see Aaron accidentally making the golden calf out of the fire. We see David and his sin committing adultery with Bathsheba. We see Solomon sinning by bringing in idols into the kingdom of Israel. All of them fail. And yet they are all men of faith. But they still have failures. It doesn't change in the New Testament. The Apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. The Apostle Paul was cheering on the execution of Christians before he was converted. Or jump out of the Bible into church history. Whether it's St. Augustine or Martin Luther or John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards or any contemporary leaders of this church or any church. They may be faithful, but they are not flawless. Each and every one of us may be faithful. We may be striving to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, but none of us will ever attain perfection because our sinful nature clings to us and it trips us up. We can still give thanks for Hezekiah's imperfect goodness. We can be thankful for the saints of old and their faith and good deeds. We can rejoice for those in our church and the church around the world who have been faithful in ways that are good to us. But we will never find perfection in men or women. We will not find it in Hezekiah. We will not find it in our heroes. We will not find it in ourselves because men and women fail morally because of sin. And we are left longing for something more. That I have seen good, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
We see this good and faithful king, Hezekiah, and we're left wanting more. Isaiah closes this essentially first half of his book by showing them this guy, Hezekiah, we need someone like this, but not him. Someone better than him. And as we will uncover throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah is that someone greater than Hezekiah has been provided, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who, has, who Isaiah prophesied about. He didn't seem all that special when he was born. In fact, he appeared physically frail, coming as a helpless infant to a humble family. And yet, it didn't take long to see this guy was different. That he was perfect in righteousness. The child, Emmanuel, God with us. That he was the Son of God who took on flesh and lived among frail men and women like us. And though the religious leaders of his day did not receive him gladly, Jesus lived a life that was free from sin. There was no moral frailty. There are no stories of Jesus sinning in Scripture. There is no failure, for he is perfectly righteous, greater than any of the saints we find in the Bible. But by taking on flesh, he was physically frail. Jesus needed to sleep and eat. He apparently aged like a normal man. He even died like a normal man when the religious leaders conspired to have him executed. And so as Jesus' followers took his lifeless body off the cross, they probably thought, here's another Hezekiah. Here is another good and faithful man who because of the frailty of mankind, has his time has been cut short. We had hoped this would be the one that would break the cycle, the one who would rule forever over God's people. And as they laid him in the tomb and covered it, they felt that they had been wrong. Until the third day, when they could not find that frail and lifeless body in the tomb. And when Jesus appeared to them in the flesh, a new and better flesh, a body that showed no signs of frailty, a body that could not get sick or die, a body free from any temptation to sin, that by His resurrection, Jesus gave hope to those struggling with their own mortality, showing that He has power over death, the power to reign forever. He demonstrates that He is worthy of our trust in life and in death. A King greater than Hezekiah, the servant King whom Isaiah points us to, and it is to Him that we frail men and women should point. That is what Paul did. Paul never said, look at me for what I have done. He was a man who constantly pointed to Jesus. He said, I, I will lead the church. I will share with you the Word of God. But we are pointing elsewhere. And that's what we as Christians are called to do is to not say to one another, trust in me, trust in our own church leaders, trust in ourselves or those closest to us. But ultimately, our trust is in Christ. And yes, children trust in their parents as an expression of our trust in Christ. And church members trust in their leaders as an expression of our trust in Christ. But it is all pointing to the one whom we trust in ultimately. Paul and Timothy were faithful men like many throughout history have been faithful men and women. 
But they were moral failures as well. Just as we are. Hezekiah was a good king, and we give thanks for him. Paul and Timothy were good men, and we give thanks for them. The people in the history of the church and this church were good and faithful as well, and we give thanks for them. But our ultimate hope is in a higher throne, in the one who lives and reigns forever, in Jesus Christ, our King. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, we give thanks that you have given us Jesus. We give thanks for the gifts of faithful men and women in our lives who have been mentors or teachers to us or parents and grandparents to us in the past. And we thank you for their good contributions. We do not want to diminish the good that you did through Hezekiah and through these faithful men and women. Not at all. But we do acknowledge it is your goodness in them. And any good faithfulness in us is simply your goodness working in us. And so, Lord, keep our eyes focused through the ones who have been faithful to the truly faithful one. May our eyes be on Christ, the King whom we serve, the King who is risen, the King who promises to raise us from the dead as well, the King who gives us hope in this mortal life that there is more to come, that there is eternity with you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.